roll. Cue. Today we are going to be in the Old Testament in Genesis. So if you turn there or whatever piece that you're using, device or Bible, and Genesis started at 37. This here, from 37 to 50, 38 deviates from the story of Joseph a little bit, but from 37 to 50 is the largest portion of scripture devoted to one person in the book of Genesis. More than Abraham, uh, more than Jacob. There's more about Joseph here than any other person in Genesis. So there's an important reason for that. So I'm going to read every single verse of all those chapters. <laughs> and then we'll begin. No. We know the story well, so let's just do a quick recap. Joseph is favored by Jacob. He's given the coat. Some say it's a many colors. Some say it's just a beautiful, effervescent, shimmering robe. Um, his brothers are jealous. He has two dreams that they're going to bow to him. They're even more jealous. Um, he goes and he, makes, he takes a report to his father of his brothers being disobedient. Rats on his siblings. Everybody knows you don't rat on your siblings. That's man. Except for you girls. That's okay. I forgot they were down here. Um, he rats on his siblings. So Jacob says, go out there and check on him. Once again, having him check on his brothers. So he goes out there to get a report. He finds them not in the city they're supposed to be. They're in another city. He finally finds him, and he's coming over the hill. Picture this. He's coming over the hill. And his brothers say, there's the dreamer. God, I hate that guy. Let's, let's kill him. So right away, they got murder in their hearts. Reuben stops him from doing that. He throws him into a pit instead, and Reuben tells him, I'll come back and get you out and return you to your father, our father. Um, they're having lunch, and then Judah decides, hey, you know what? Let's just make some money instead of killing him. What profit is that? So some traders come along, they sell Joseph. Joseph ends up in Potiphar's house, and he's so diligent and so good at what he's doing, he gets promoted to the level of the lead servant there in Potiphar's house. And he gets tempted by Potiphar's wife. He resists, he doesn't submit to that, and gets sent to prison. So now back into the pit he goes. While he's in prison, he again, because of his uh, management and his diligence, he gets risen, he's promoted to the top prisoner. Still in prison, but he's the top guy assisting the main jailer. And he hears these two guys, the baker and the uh, cupbearer, butler, baker, and, uh, and the candlestick maker. And no, he, uh, he hears them and he sees that they're lamenting and they're sor and they have sorrow. And he's like, hey, what's troubling you guys? And they say, well, we had these dreams. And Joseph said, well, let me interpret those dreams. You know, dreams belong to God. So he interprets them. Uh, the baker dies. The cupbearer gets promoted back to the right hand of Pharaoh. Well, not the right hand, in Pharaoh's court. And uh, he forgets about Joseph. Joseph asks me, hey, if you remember me, give me a good word, because I'm here for the wrong reason. I'm here, uh, with, you know, I'm not receiving any justice. The, uh, the cupbearer forgets. Two years later, uh, Pharaoh gets dreamed. 730 more days. He's down there in the prison just wasting away. And Pharaoh gets a dream. He, he comes up and cleans himself up first, shaves off that scraggly beard, and uh, much like mine. And uh, he comes to the court. So this is a really cool principle here when you teach people. When you go to a job or when you go to live your life, clean up. 
clean yourself up. You Look professional. You know, when you go before God or you go before people who are representing, you're representing God in front of people, clean yourself up. So that's, a really, that's another message. So he cleans himself up, comes to the court, he interprets the dream. He says, I can't interpret this dream, but God can. Once again, he gives it to God. He interprets the dream. Pharaoh says, who else here in my kingdom is like this man? that Because Joseph gave him suggestions. Find somebody to be in charge of this, because if you don't, we're all going to die when the famine comes. So he said, who here is, you know, can do this job? And, you know, Joseph's like, you know, not saying anything. No, I don't think he was doing that. I think he just stood there and said, you know what? If this is what God called me to do, he'll choose me. And he did. He chose Joseph. He's now sitting at the right hand of Pharaoh. Only Pharaoh is above him. And he says, everybody will bow their knee to you. And no one will lift a finger or lift their head or do anything without your permission. So that's extreme power. And then, of course, the famine hits Canaan. And they're suffering just as well. They heard on Facebook that they have a bunch of grain in Egypt. You know, so Judah said, hey, you know, let's go over there. We're seeing a lot of Twitter action here going on in Egypt. So they head over to Egypt. They get the grain. Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize him. It's now been 20 years since they've seen each other. 20 years have passed. Uh, Joseph got that reign, that rule, at 20, uh, age 30. So he recognizes them, and he accuses them of being spies. Isn't that interesting? He could have just said, aha! I told you, you guys, to be bound to me. You know, he could have just rubbed it into their faces. You were wrong. But he didn't. He just said, you're spies. And he comes up with this story that they're there to see the land and, and take it over. And they're uh, adamant that it's not the case. And he said, we have a younger brother and a father at home, and we're all brothers, and blah, blah, blah. So Joseph said, you know what? I'm going to keep Simeon, and I'm going to send you back to get Benjamin. Bring Benjamin here, and then I'll believe your story. So they go back. Jacob says, no way, I've already lost Joseph, he's my firstborn. He considered him his firstborn, even, Reuben, even though Reuben was, because Rachel was his favorite. He was given Leah first. Rachel, can you just imagine that household? And so he said, no, Benjamin's all that's left. I'm not going to send Benjamin there, you know, far be it from me. Months pass, months. Now they're out of food. And, and they're saying, Dad, look, we could have been back there and back twice now. You know, we're running out of food. You want us to literally die, just, uh, you know, save Benjamin's life. You know, we think this guy is legit. And no mention, poor Simeon. And Simeon is still rotting back there in jail. No mention of Simeon. So it's kind of funny. So they head back, finally, with Benjamin. Uh, Joseph welcomes into his house, has a big feast, and, you know, sets them up in order of their ages. They're marveling at this. And then he says, uh, this is awesome, Simeon gets free, and he sends them on their way with double the portion of money, double the grain, that's another message. And so they hit a, a cup into Benjamin's sack, the guards come over, they say, hey, you guys are stealing from Pharaoh, uh, Joseph, how could you do that? They're like, we didn't do that, whoever stole it, put him to death. And they just gave Benjamin's fate, because they found it in Benjamin's bag. And they're like, oh no, what did we do? So they went back to the court, Joseph is angry with them, and they're like, we don't know, we didn't know, we didn't put it there, blah, blah, blah. They're just trying to protest their innocence. And an amazing thing happens. Judah says, I will go in my place of my brother Benjamin, because if you take Benjamin, it will kill my father. It will kill my father. Judah is the one that sold. He's the one that came up with the money to sell him. So Joseph is moved. 
he's moved by his brothers. He comes down, he says, I am Joseph, and they embrace and they weep. And he said, what you have planned, the famous scripture, what you have planned for ill, God has made for good, to protect you guys, to bring and keep you guys uh, alive. He sends them all back, bring the whole family back, and I prepare you for a place, and they move to Goshen. And they lived there for another 400 years. So, that's the whole story. It takes time for God to prepare us to do what he has wanted and called us to do. But it requires us to make the right choices. It requires us to partner with him. We see the world speeding up seemingly faster and faster and faster. How could it get any faster? And it gets faster, just the technology and computers or whatever. And everything wants to be done yesterday, you know. But the creation, when God created the world, it still moves at its very slow pace. You know, an apple tree, if you plant a seed, right from a seed and plant it in the ground, it takes six to 10 years, depending on the kind of apple, before it produces fruit. And it has been that way since the beginning of time, and it will be in the future. An apple tree takes that long to produce fruit. So however long it takes for God to show us how good he is and what his purpose is for our life um, and who he is, he is patient enough to show us that. It takes time. Every step of the way, Joseph was being groomed to manage a kingdom and its food supply. And not only the Egyptian kingdom, it's Canaan. Everywhere around, people were coming to get this food. The time he spent in Potiphar's house, the time he spent in prison, um, all those times were grooming places. They were grooming, uh, what should you call it, pressure cookers, you know, to show him what God had planned for his life. Many people talk about his dreams and his interpreting a dream that was a gift, but it's not his only gift. It's very interesting. His gift really, probably his best gift, was administration. He could run a household. He could count, count numbers. He could write letters. He could tell servants what to do. Um, you know, he said, we'll keep 20% of the grain. He was making sure they were diligent at that and storing it. I mean, this guy was a smart dude. He really knew what he was doing. He had other gifts than just the dreams. So imagine Joseph goes from jail to second highest powerful man in Egypt, yet he remains humble. How does he do that? And here's the title of my message, Keeping Your Focus. Now I know this coincides with Pastor Nick's messages. Faith, focus, function, fruit, right? Fellowship, I forgot the fellowship. The four Fs, focus is very, very important. He never forgot what God did and what God has done. As terrible as Joseph's situations were, as terrible as they were, he was sold as a slave, he was put in prison, he was always elevated in those situations. Would we be willing to behave as he did if we were in a situation we were not supposed to be in that was not fair? Would we still behave and uh, act in a way that honors God? How does that happen? How does he do that? By keeping his focus. I think the central part of this story, there are two of them, but the central, first central part is his time in prison. You see, if you allow it, if you allow it, you have to be willing and uh, capable to allow your gift to make room for you, it will. Whatever it is that God has given you, let it make room for you. Joseph could have abandoned his gifting long ago. He could have been angry, bitter, and who would have blamed him? 
You know, wow, I'm accused wrongly. I didn't go anywhere near her. I ran from her. I didn't touch her and thrown into prison. Incidentally, Potiphar, I think, didn't believe, this is a side note, I don't think he believed his wife. Otherwise, he would have just killed him. He was the captain of the guard. And he was trying to touch my wife, you're dead. You know. Uh, he wanted to kill Benjamin for stealing a cup. Put to death for stealing a cup. So trying to touch someone else's wife. You know. And it's interesting, the Ten Commandments didn't come yet. Yet Joseph knew it was wrong to lay with somebody else's wife. The law is written in our hearts. If you allow it, God will make room for your gift. He could have said, my dream got me into this mess. Those dreams got me into this mess. So I'm not going to interpret someone else's dream here in prison. You know, but his eyes were open, ready to minister with an opportunity. And he did with the cupbearer and the baker. The secret to being able to withstand the trial is to not look at yourself. The more you dwell on yourself and your situation, the more depressed and down you will get. Be faithful and keep your eyes on God. We see this with Jacob. Here's another message, but here's a side note. Jacob, if you read about Jacob constantly, what was me? Why do these bad things always happen to me? Um, when he let Benjamin go, he says, I'm always undone. Things are always, you know, this is awful. This is horrible. You know, he was always negative, always looking at himself. So the difference between him and his son Joseph is huge. If Joseph uh, had gotten depressed and bitter, do you think God would have prospered him? Do you think he would have used him to uh, save the entire tribe, the entire group of Israelites at the time, his chosen people, the promise he had given them? If he had been angry and uh, was just lashing out, being unruly, do you think the outcome would have been different? The point I'm trying to make is you never know what God has planned for you fully. He might tell you to reveal it, but fully you never know what God has planned for you. Joseph never got himself, or thought of himself rather, as poor or destitute. And I think this was because he had a dream, and let's make that dream called a word. The word kept him focused. God, this is not how I would have done it, but I'm keeping my focus on you. Even while he was the head prisoner, he was still constrained. He was still limited by what he wanted to do. He was being held back. Isn't it interesting that um, the freedom, freedom comes from limitation. So we have the Constitution. It limits the government. It gives us more freedom. And it's the constant battle to this day. We have the Ten Commandments. It restricts us. It says very explicitly, uh, thou shalt not. It's very explicit. So it keeps us from doing those things, and that limitation allows us to be free. It's very, very cool how God designed that. So is he being mean when he does that? You know, is it being mean while he's holding us back, keeping us from, you know, causing harm or being uh, evil in his sight? No, it's because he's keeping us from our worst part of ourselves. So, and, you know, keeping your focus, I guess, is the addendum the subheading of my title is keeping your focus during the trial, during the affliction, during the hardship. Keeping your focus during that time is the key because we can all keep our focus when things are great. Have you ever had anybody say, man, my walk with God has gotten so good because everything's going great? <laughs> you rarely, rarely ever hear that. 
And there's a reason for that. We have to come to a place that God ministers to us and becomes real to us. Sorry, I don't want to get too ahead of myself. So that constraint, that holding back, when you see the, the, the boundaries and the limits ripped off, no boundaries, no, you know, uh, there's no sin, there's no just thing is wrong, let's just live the way we want to live. And then you see people become psychotic. A child, when you raise a child in a home and you give them no boundaries, do they grow up respectful, honest, uh, nice, good, good uh, composure? No. If you give a child anything they want, they are going to come out awful. And human nature is the same way. If you remove the constraints, we become psychotic and emotional. And we see this in the culture today. Secularization is the monster that's turning around and now eating the people who have pushed that ideology. We're trying to tear down the structures, tear down everything that's good. Let's start over. Uh, it's awful. So a limitation, being in prison, being in a trial, being in a hardship, being afflicted, is probably sometimes the most freeing thing that you'll ever experience. A limitation can be the most freeing thing that you'll ever experience. And I know that's hard to understand, but I live it every day. I live it every day with limitations, and I am more free than I ever was in my younger, in my youth. Where you can say, when you get to the point where you can say, bless this X, whatever it is, bless this trial, hardship, affliction, whatever it is, because it was in that trial God became real to me. If you could say, if you could say, uh, that moment was good for me because it was there where God took away the phony idealism of the spiritual life. Wow. We got a lot of phoniness, yes. especially in the American Western culture. Um, you mentioned my trips overseas. I was struck, always struck, by the sincerity and the authenticity of the believers in those countries, especially in China, who you know have no freedom whatsoever in that regard. And there's no messing around. They don't have any phoniness about them. It's life or death. Um, Joseph, here in that prison, it's life or death. He doesn't have time to goof around. He has the only time to keep his focus on Jesus. Joseph was also changed. You know, he was 30 years old when he was brought up and elevated, promoted. He was no longer this young boy having dreams. He's developed. He's different. He's a, you know, if he was that young boy elevated, uh, 17, right away, then elevated, I think he would have treated his brothers a lot differently. But here he was, changed and humbled and told that you need to rely on me. Don't rely on yourself. When you keep your focus, you are able to minister in spite of your circumstances. That's the awesomest thing. When you're in pain, when you're in struggling and you're in a trial, you know, and you become very inward focus, you don't see the issues around you with people you can minister to. And that's sad. God said, look and give and go and bring things to people that they need. Be a minister. Be a minister. And in spite of what you're going through, find time to minister to other people. So Joseph did that. He went to those two guys and said, why are you so downcast? What's wrong? How come you guys are not, you know, it could have, you know, he could have just said, it's because they're in prison. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's enough to make anybody feel down. But apparently Joseph wasn't. Yeah, I'm in prison, but what are we going to do about it? Your behavior determines your future. 
you know, when they say in prison, they come in out, they come out as hardened criminals, you know, because they're focused on the injustice and injustice and you know the unfairness and you know, or they went in there for a real reason, and now they're leaving and they're more hell bent and angry. Joseph went to prison. We should go to prison, but remain soft and come out even ever ready to minister, whatever the case and whatever comes our way. And, you know, it's interesting too. I used to hate the story. Hello. I used to hate the story because I always like Joseph is like this guy who's like perfect. He doesn't complain. He just goes to jail. He doesn't say anything. Uh, uh, you know, he instantly gets promoted in Potiphar's house. This guy's like an, an anomaly. I can't understand this guy. But then when I read it and read it and read it, I realized Joseph was human. Because you read later, it said that he protested his innocence when they were selling him. So at that point, he was screaming out. He was saying, this is wrong. You guys can't do this. It's just wrong. And then he named his sons in a specific way to, to demonstrate this. His first son, Manasseh, God has removed the sting of my troubles. He knew the sting. He knew the pain. But he said, God had removed the sting of my troubles. He has given me a son. He has blessed me in this Egyptian foreign land. He has kept me and made me for a purpose. And then his second son, Ephraim, God has blessed me in the land of my afflictions. So that doesn't say he's thinking he's on vacation. He knows this is not right how he got here, but he knew God can remove that sting and still bless him in a foreign land. Amen. Imagine that he didn't have a Bible. So he's down there in prison. He didn't have the purpose-driven life. He didn't have Joyce Meyer's devotional. He didn't have seven tips of highly successful people. Um, he didn't have YouTube devotionals, you know, podcasts. He didn't have any of that stuff. He didn't have anything. He just had God. Isn't that awesome? Uh, sure saves us a lot of money. But he, all he had was his focus. He kept his focus on the Lord. Many times when we look back in our lives during the trying times, we, you know, in uh, hindsight, we realize God was moving in my life then. It's very hard to see it at the moment. When I was 13, I uh, was diagnosed with my eye condition, Usher's 2. And right away, I did King Kids. It was this youth with a mission trip. You know, it was around New England. It was my very first mission trip, technically. And uh, we ministered to all these churches and stuff. And God really ministered to me there, but I didn't really fully understand it. And it was years later, like 20 years old when I'm in college. And I was looking back at that time, and I was like, wow. I was diagnosed with this. Uh, shock of you know my eyesight and it came out of the blue and God instantly was there with me I didn't feel it at the time I didn't really know at the time but he was and you just look back but in the moment it does not seem that way so we need very importantly to keep our focus keep your focus on God in philosophy uh, one of my favorite things uh, and I've Trust me, I won't bore you. Uh, they have this concept that if God is a moral, perfect being, so there's a moral, perfect being in every way possible, that follows that he is incapable of doing something immoral. So we, people say all the time, why does God allow so much suffering in the world and so much evil? You have just 
you had just put God on your level. He knows, and he has to know, uh, uh, Frank Turek once said, I don't know that God is in control all the time with all the evil and suffering, but he says, I'm much more uh, happier that he is in control, even though I don't see it, than if there was no God. Just imagine the most evil of this world, and we don't have any God, you know, any orchestrator directing things, that would be even more scary. So he says, whatever God's doing, I'd rather trust that. And so anyway, so what follows as a more perfect being is whatever he allows is to our benefit. Whatever he allows is to our benefit. You have to embrace the trial, affliction, the, the hardship. You have to embrace it. Now, let me put a little uh, asterisk. If it's, a, if it's an affliction that you cause, or it's a consequence of something that you cause, that's different. You're going to receive the consequences of whatever you did. But if it's something that you feel, like my own condition, that's not my fault. You know, it's not my fault. I just got it. So in that situation, I can embrace it and say, God, what is it that you're showing me and teaching me in this situation, in this affliction? And I'll tell you, I'm very, very thankful for it. I'm very, very thankful for it. So anyways, so in philosophy, as a moral perfect being, he can will things and direct human beings with free will to glorify him. When God tries us, he's almost as if he was doing, uh, it's like, for instance, my daughter, I can say, Julian showed me yesterday a handstand, a headstand, I keep saying it wrong, she doesn't go up in the air, a headstand. So she just got down and really slowly put her legs up, her super long legs, why do they keep growing? <laughs> and, you know, she's five feet. But uh, she's got the wrong leg, and she's up, and she just hooded it there. She just kept it there. And so God, like, you know, right now I'm just impressed with my daughter. Jillian did that. That's amazing. You guys should see that. If she wasn't wearing a dress, I would have her do it right now. <laughs> but God says, uh, who can I pick on? Marissa. God says, here's Marissa. She went to a hard time in life, and she didn't curse me. She didn't say, I'm angry at you, God. She kept being honest. She kept doing diligence in her work. That's the person I'm proud of. That's the person I'm amazed at. When Shavak, Meshach, and Abednego went into the furnace, and they said, even if we die, even if the furnace burns us alive, and God doesn't save us, it does not mean that we don't believe there is a God. That is faith. That is obedience and that's a behavior, let's go back to behavior, an attitude that impresses God. Yeah. You know, we get so inwardly focused, so selfish. But when we express ourselves in a way that in spite of this, I'm going to behave with a correct attitude and keep my focus on God, God says, that's the person I like right there. That's, I'm impressed. That's the faithful servant. If it follows, let's see, here we go. God doesn't want us to feel good. What? God doesn't want us to feel good. He is. Feelings are important. Don't get me wrong. But he doesn't want us to feel good. He wants us to be good. And he wants us to do good. And to do that 
it means you have to keep your focus on him. In a sense, the saying that God only wants the best for us. He only wants the best things for you and the best life and the best wife and the best husband and the best car and the best house. He only wants the best for you is not true. What God wants is whatever brings him glory. And if in that thing that you partnered with him, you came with him and said, God, I'm going to bring you glory, and God is glorified, that thing is what's good for you. At that very moment, you are receiving what's good for you, but only if it brings him glory. See, God will not share his glory. He will have you be partners, but he's not going to say, and let's glorify Jesse. <laughs> he's not going to do that. He wants you to submit because here's the thing. Whatever glory we get in life, it's great. It's awesome. We get promotion, raises, whatever. And we become president of the United States. Whatever glory we receive pales in comparison in the glory that you would receive if you had partnered with God and he received the glory. Pales in comparison. Because that goes back to the philosophical concept. As a moral perfect being, he cannot do something immoral in your life. So that glory that you brought to him, Lord, I glorify you, and then here you are, you're running the kingdom, providing food for not only Egyptians, but Canaanites, Israelites, everybody. You were promoted to that position because he partnered with God and gave God the glory. He kept saying, I don't interpret dreams, God does. He said, don't you know that God interprets dreams? Dreams belong to God, he said to the guys in prison. He said to Potiphar's wife, don't you know it's a sin against God if I were to lay with you? Always kept God in his focus. So often in our culture, uh, we, in our human nature, we decide to shut the agenda before the truth. God, I got this agenda. I got this thing I got to get done. And God said, no, spend time with the truth first. So Joseph, he spent time in truth, and then God set the agenda. Let God set the agenda. So the second central part of this story is when he's promoted to a position of power. Here he was, and he would have been within his rights when they bowed before him, his brothers, to say, Aha! I see! And you know what? I condemn you guys to die. Uh, maybe not Reuben. He wanted to come back and spare me. I'll let Reuben get off the hook. But the rest of you, eh. And then bring Benjamin, because he's my favorite, and he wasn't there. So he's free. He could have done a lot of different things. It's interesting how Joseph asked his brothers by threatening, uh, he tested his brothers, I'm sorry, by threatening them with accusations. You are spies. You know what Reuben said on the way back to get Benjamin? God's doing this because we sold Joseph to slavery. We killed him. They were convicted. Joseph never said that. He just called them spies, but they knew. The 20 years that Joseph met his brothers, his change and his walk through life, imagine what his brothers were going through. This is a lost part of this story. These guys suffered of their own consequence. Don't get me wrong. They should never have done that. But these guys suffered with a conscience of sin. Never could free themselves from that God, what did we do? And far as we know, they never told Jacob. So they kept it a secret. Maybe they didn't even tell Benjamin. They just pretended that he was murdered. I mean, I'm sorry, killed by a beast. And his, you know, his coat of many colors was all bloody. And 
They lived with that guilt and that sin for all that time, for 20 years. The, uh, they were convicted, as I said, of Reuben. So during these years, Joseph was being changed where he didn't have that heart of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show these guys a lesson. So here he goes. He was testing their, their, their honesty. They came back and said, we, we, we gave you this money, and you put it back in our sacks. And I overlooked that, sorry, in the beginning. But they put the money in the sacks, and they're like, the assistant to Joseph said, don't worry, your debt has been paid. We put it back in there. You didn't steal it. And they were like, oh, good. You know? And then they got sent back with a double on the second journey. So they were being honest. And then they were being honest about Benjamin and their father. And then when they came again, Judah, this is just an awesome moment. Judah said, take me instead. I'm the sinner. I'm the one who did it. Benjamin's innocent. He didn't do anything wrong. I sold my brother to slavery. Take me. And Joseph just cleared the room. He couldn't even hold it in anymore. Weeping. He said, I'm Joseph. And he said, come close. Come close, come close to me. He steps down from the throne. He gets down to their level. Come close, come be with me. That's an awesome portrayal of forgiveness. And he's saying, you know what? You guys planned this for evil. God meant it for good. Don't worry, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Get Jacob, get the family, get your, our father, get everybody and bring them all here. I'm going to prepare a place for them in Goshen. And probably not known to Judah, he is the line of Jesus. Reuben wasn't chosen, um, not Joseph or Benjamin. It was Judah. Judah became the line of Jesus with Tamar. So Joseph sees this change in his brothers, and he weeps. He's moved with compassion. And I like what he said, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. A strong faith, a strong faith leads to a good attitude. When these two essentials are in place, Troubles become challenges to face and not reasons to quit. Greatness, revealed, greatness is revealed in our attitudes. You can say, well, I don't want to be great. I, don't want, to, I don't want to be great. Good. That's what makes you great. Don't try to be great. Just have a good attitude, and then greatness will come. God will use you. Your behavior is far more important than your feelings and your accomplishments. Keep your focus on him, and your behavior will be what people see, Take your focus on your, your feelings, and that is all that people will see. Focus on him and watch your behavior, and that's what they will all see, the world. But if you take your focus on God and focus on your feelings, that's all they're going to see is your feelings, your mess. Your, nobody wants to see that. Take, don't take your focus on God. Always see that where you are is being placed there by God. God made you the way you are to do whatever it is that you are doing to be a part of whatever it is that he has planned. You have no idea what the big picture is. Joseph didn't. I don't. I wish I did, but I don't. Are you going to quit? Here's a nice troop bomb. You may never know. You may never know why God is doing something in your life. It could be for something two generations later. It could be something that's going to happen next week. It could be something that you know, will make its way to somebody in Africa. Yeah. I don't have time to share the story of a guy from Romania 
and he changed his name to Dwight Barrows. It's an amazing story, but it starts in Romania and ends up all the way over here, and then he's ministering and being a minister of Christ. You never know. All it took was an ambassador to give him a Bible and uh, Dwight L. Moody's, one of Dwight L. Moody's books. He had no idea what was going to happen after that. You have no idea. So, in John 5.45, Jesus says, Moses wrote about me. Moses. So he wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis especially. And he said to these guys, Pharisees, Moses wrote about me. He wrote about me. And you can't even believe Moses, one of your fathers, one of your fathers that you guys look up to. How would you believe me? I believe Jesus is referring to the story of Joseph. Joseph was the chosen one, the beloved Jesus was the beloved son of, father, of the Father. He spoke truth. Joseph spoke truth. He had the word, my brothers aren't behaving well. Jesus spoke truth. He walked the land, and he says, this is the truth. And what did it do? They said, let's murder him. When Jesus came over the hill, just like Joseph, they said, there's that blasphemer. He says he's the son of God. Let's kill him. He was the suffering servant. Joseph suffered. Jesus suffered for our sins. He was tempted, but did not submit. Jesus was tempted. Joseph was renamed, I can't even say the name, Zephaniah, Hyena, whatever. And incidentally, that name is inscribed on some tablet or something they found in Egypt. And the Pharaoh Haramah, Haramah was the Pharaoh at the time, and he was called the Merciful Pharaoh. And he was merciful. He was willing to let other lands by the grains that they had. And that name that Joseph had is inscribed in an ancient, ancient text of Egyptian tablets or whatever. So let that sink in. He was renamed uh, Zephaniah, and it was also it was called Giver of Life. Jesus is the bread of life. He is the giver of life, the bread of life. He who eats of him will never go hungry. He comes down from the throne. He's seated at the right hand of God, Jesus, but he comes down to the throne and he says, come close, look at my hands. I died on the cross for you. But don't be troubled. I'm not going to kill you because it was your fault. You were the sinner. You gave up your brother for slavery. Don't worry, I've forgiven you. What you meant for bad, putting me on the cross, God meant for good so that you would all be free. And then he said, I go to prepare a place for you. So Joseph said, bring the family. I'm preparing a place for them in Goshen. And Jesus said to us, I'm preparing a place for you. As saints, he's preparing a place. And then in Luke 18, Jesus said uh, about the persistent widow. And he said, when I return, will I find faith like this? Where will I find this faith? Will I have that faith? So how does this story apply to us? We start out in the pit or make it to jail, whatever you want to be. We are starting out in sin. We are in bondage, and we are slaves. But then we were born again, and where are we seated? In the heavenly places with the Father. And then what is our job? To give our lives as a blessing to others to glorify the Lord. 
because we know he eats the bread of life and he gave us the bread. Uh, Jesus provides uh, goods for the just and the unjust. You know, he says it rains on the just and the unjust. We live our lives. It doesn't matter if it's a Christian or a non-Christian. We offer our love, our patience, our good attitude, our good behavior, just because that's what God has called us to do. We speak the truth, and the world would hate us. John 15, Jesus said, they will hate you because they hate me. They hate the Father. But he said, no man, there's no greater love than the man that lays down his life for his friends. It's that act of Judah. I will take his place. When we come over the hill, the world will say, there's those Christians. I hate those guys. They're always speaking truth. They're always speaking word. And they're always so kind and so compassionate and nice. I hate those guys. How do we kill them? Don't be so surprised. It happened in the past. It could happen again. But we're going to speak the truth. We will be betrayed. We will be let down. We will be depromoted. We will be fired. Um, we will go through trials that the world could throw at us. What will we do? Will we keep our focus? Will we keep our eyes on God? Who we are, and I finish with this. When Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, you know, it's heaven. You're going to be with us. We're going to be with God. We're going to be with Jesus. We, Christians, are living in Goshen. We are in the land of Goshen. And Jesus says, who are you going to bring with me, with you? Who are you going to bring with you? Because when I come, I'm going to take you out of that land of Goshen, and we're going to go into the promised land. Who are you going to bring with you? Who are you going to bring with you? Who are you going to be your sons? Who are you going to be your daughters? Spiritual sons, spiritual daughters. Who are you going to bring with you? Because when I come, it's going to come in a blink of an eye, and you're all going to come be with me. Because you're in the Goshen now. He prepared a place for us now. We have a, uh, this short little time that we have. We have a job to do. So, uh, David, if you will, let's recommit ourselves this morning to watch our behavior, to be patient with the work of Jesus. Just be patient. A tree, an apple tree, takes six years. Just be patient. Let God work the work in you, in your trial and affliction and your hardship. To use all our gifts, however boring or unimportant we think those gifts are. It's the gift of management, the gift of love, the gift of suffering. Some people have this gift of just living a life. I have, I have more friends than I can count overseas in the most gruesome conditions for long periods of time but they're willing to suffer to bring God to glory. Let's recommit to welcome the chance to absolutely grab a hold of any opportunity that would glorify God. Because that is the best time, the best thing that you will receive is knowing that God has been glorified. Trust me on that. It feels better than, it's like it's a better than any high. <laughs> and just, that's also to remember to keep our eyes, keep our focus on Jesus and to find everlasting purpose in giving bread to those in need. And then lastly, to go and make disciples. Now all of this is for naught. 
all the stuff that we commit ourselves to. And this is the altar call. The, uh, this is our altar call today. Joseph, through all his work and trial and tribulation and getting to the place where he was, he needed to do one thing. Otherwise, it would have just blown it all to smithereens. He needed to forgive his brothers. And I think it had to happen before his brothers showed up. So that's why I think the prison time is the most central part of his life. Because while he was down there, he said, you know what, I can't let this thing eat me. I can't let this unjust treatment that my brother did to me. My own family, I cannot let this eat me alive. God, you must have a reason. I'm just going to trust you, and I'm going to let them go. I'm not going to let them hold me back from what God has called me to do. So our altar call today is if you have unforgiveness in your heart toward anything, uh, it could be a nameless thing, just everything seems unjust, everything just doesn't seem fair. Um, why did God give me this condition? It could be something like that where you're not forgiving God and trusting God. It could be a past loved one, a current loved one, <laughs> uh, whatever the case may be. We have to forgive and let that stuff go. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, we just come to you this morning. And we are focused, Lord. We just made our, we just make our focus this moment, Lord, on you. As we heard this life of Joseph, Lord. It can do one of two things. It could say, we could say, Lord, it's not for me. I don't know what this guy is, what he's trying to pull, but he just forgave his brothers like that after what they did. You know, you can resist and you can just not want to follow through on that. Or it could do the other thing. It could compel us to root out and to find whatever it is that might be holding us back and hurting us from keeping our focus. You know, I want to give an opportunity. Uh, the, Lord, the Lord gave me this this morning when I was praying, that uh, the number one thing that holds people back, the whole, he said, the number one thing that holds my children back is, is unforgiveness. It's just not willing to let go and just to let, let God, that famous phrase. If anybody wants to just come on down, this is the altar here. There's no shame. Here, we're all family. If anybody wants to come down, just make that commitment to God and say, God, I give, I just take the stuff that I'm holding on to and I just nail it to the cross. Because you have taken care of that thing. I need to let that thing go. If there's anybody who wants to do that, the altar is open. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to your name, Jesus. Praise you, Father. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we just thank you for your mercy and for your love. And that in spite of our inflictions, our hardship, or trials, Lord, that we would learn to look to you. 
because that very thing that we are going through, Lord, is molding us and shaping us into what you want us to be. And Lord, let us always have our heart open as a, that it can be a blessing, not a curse. Because Lord, you are the perfect moral being. You cannot do something immoral. Lord, so I embrace what you have given me, Lord. And Lord, let us embrace what you have given us and let us just let your love move in our lives. Help us to forgive. Help us to have the correct behavior, to have a good attitude. And so like it says in, uh, oh, where is it? Thank you, Jesus. Matthew 5, let your light shine before all men so they would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Lord, we just want to make sure you're glorified, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You are worthy of our praise. Thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. Thank you for your love. Praise you, Jesus. Well, I pray that we would have a blessed week, a blessed time together with family, with jobs, and that we would look for opportunities to offer the bread of life, opportunities to share our